Welcome to the Franchise Hounds Podcast. I'm Greg Macchia, a certified franchise consultant. Thanks for joining me as I interview franchise industry pros to dissect, explore, and discover franchise ownership. Joining me today is Scott Greenberg. Scott is the author of the newly released book, The Wealthy Franchisee. Scott was an award-winning multi-unit operator for Edible Arrangements, now a motivational speaker and recognized as the franchise influencer. He understands firsthand what it takes to transform businesses from average to extraordinary. Drawing upon his years of consulting for countless franchise brands and a decade running his own Edible Arrangements franchises, Scott Greenberg reveals the secrets of the franchise industry's superstars. Why is it that while running the same business, some franchisees thrive while others struggle? You'll learn who these superstars are, how they think, and what separates them from typical franchisees. Scott's clients include iconic franchise brands such as McDonald's, Great Clips, Anytime Fitness, GNC, and Wyndham Hotel Group. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion with Scott Greenberg, the author of The Wealthy Franchisee. Scott, welcome to Franchise Hounds. Thanks for joining us. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I uh, I really appreciate you sending me the the early you know kind of digital version of of your new book. Um, but after reading the first few chapters, I, I realized pretty quickly that this was a book that I wanted to refer back to as a resource. You know, one that I needed to kind of highlight and make notes in the pages. I really like to do that. Um, so I ordered your book, and and uh, the day it came out on Amazon, and and I finished it last week. And uh, apparently, I'm not the only one who enjoyed it. As I, I've I've seen, kind of in the, it's made a splash in the franchise world, and a lot of heavyweights have really uh, voiced their approval of it. Um, but before we get into the book, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about your path to becoming a, a motivational speaker, and ultimately the path to franchise ownership, because I think that you know in itself is a pretty inspiring story. Yeah, in, in both cases, um, I sort of happened upon them. I never really set out to do either one. And, you know, from the franchise world, people usually end up there because, you know, they have a job somewhere and one day wake up and realize they hate their boss or they hate their job. And deep down, they've always wanted to own their own business. Um, so I kind of backed into it. So my story is I was originally supposed to be a filmmaker. Um, I, and I graduated college. I got a scholarship to go to film school at NYU. And I was there for a semester when I was diagnosed with cancer. So that led to a year of you know fighting that, which was successful, um, but it was a tough year. And when it was over, a friend of mine was putting on a leadership conference, and he said, why don't you be our keynote speaker and talk about your experience and how it applies to leadership? So that one first speech is what then launched this career, and my content and message evolved considerably a lot into peak performance and leadership as well as resilience. So I found myself traveling around the country and speaking and really having you know, this great life. But then I got married. My wife and I were talking about starting a family. And I realized I still wanted to speak, but I didn't want to have to travel quite as much, which meant finding another stream of income in addition to speaking. So that was the first thing that got me thinking about a franchise. The second thing was here I am talking about leadership, and I hadn't really done much of it since high school. And I didn't want to be one of those guys who's just, you know, talks about something and from theory, it hasn't done it. I wanted a real experience and a business that could be a bit as much a laboratory, a leadership laboratory 
as a source of income. And I figured if I can you know, figure out how to do well in this business, well, then I can also teach other people how to do well in their businesses. So those are my motives. And that's about when I realized that, that's when my dad showed me an airline magazine ad for a company called Edible Arrangements. And it just had a picture of this big, enormous floral arrangement made out of fresh fruit. And I'd never seen anything like it. And I thought, wow, we have nothing like that here in LA. But we do a lot of gift giving here. and We're into health. And so before I knew it, I was off to a discovery day and started signing lots of stuff and um, became a franchisee. So I built my first of what would be two locations. The second one, a few years later, we took over from a struggling owner and we turned that around. Um, so I'm running his businesses, but still speaking. And eventually I started getting invitations to speak at franchise conventions for other brands. And whenever I give a presentations, I always do a lot of interviewing of people beforehand, a lot of audience members to you know, know what's on their minds and what people are doing. And so I always ask to interview, among others, the best franchisees in each system. So over the years, I've had close access to really the top franchise owners in the world. And when you meet enough of them, you start to see what they all have in common. You see you hear their mindset, you see their tactics. And there are some real consistent things about them that are just obvious when you meet enough of them. So I sold my businesses five years ago. We had a very successful run. And now all the work I do is about helping people understand the tactics and mindsets of what I call wealthy franchisees and how to replicate them so they can get the same results. Yeah. What, what an interesting path, right? You never could have, never could have planned on that. So prior to prior to actually you being a franchisee and owning the ed- edible arrangements, uh, I assume your most of your clients or your motivational speaking engagements were not in the franchise space. Is that right? That's correct. In fact, in the very beginning, um, I specialized in the har- hardest audiences in the industry: teenagers. Um, I started speaking a lot of teen leadership conferences, and then that led to school assemblies. So a typical day at work was me on a gymnasium floor with a thousand students on one side of the bleachers and a thousand students on the other and almost no teacher supervision and me in the middle with a microphone. And it's the hardest, most brutal audiences there are. And even though you think it's not a sophisticated audience, you still have to be very sophisticated as a speaker because they'll see right through any content that's not inauthentic. You have to be able to connect to them, entertain them, and then give them a solid message. So I did that for years. And so by the time I spoke in front of my uh, first group of drunk insurance salesmen, it was like speaking to teenage teenagers. So, <laughs> so the audience has changed over the years. It got to be more and more um, associations, more companies, um, not a lot of franchises in the beginning, but a variety of different kinds of audiences in, in healthcare, um, in the public sector, private sector, um, technology, finance, so just a lot of the different industries, but focusing on these main ideas of the human elements and how those impact the quality of our work. So it was easy when I became a franchisee um, to apply those messages because a franchise is a great microcosm for the world. You have all these people doing the same things, but getting different results. And so I figured if I could figure out the variable, why one franchisee thrives in the same brand other franchisee struggles, if I could figure out what those reasons are, well, now I have a message I can share with a lot of other people. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty interesting kind of analogy. I had never really thought about that. Yeah, you have these locations all over the country, all kind of with the same parameters, but as you mentioned, with you know getting very different results. That is pretty interesting. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly... You know, glad to hear that you're you're cancer free and healthy and and having the success that you are, and and I think it's great that you kind of decided to step out of the the, the speaking world and, and and write this book to share this material 
you know, I know you've been speaking with franchise brands and all of their their franchisees from around the country at, at things like their annual meetings and annual, you know, sales conferences and things like that. And I'm sure the it's very well received with existing franchisees. But if you hadn't written the book, the audience who would have missed this material are hopeful franchisees, right? And those are the people I work with every day, the people who, you know, hopefully listen to this podcast. And I, and I feel like, you know, a hope, so a hopeful franchisee would be someone who's considering franchise ownership, right? Open to the idea of exploring franchise ownership, has always dreamed about, you know, owning, owning a, a franchise or a business. And and I feel like this book is is really perfect for my for my audience and the people who I speak with every day as it as it could really set them up you know for success. Have Have you always thought about you know writing a book with this material? I was just kind of curious about the process. Always, I always wanted to do it. And honestly, I, I you know had enough speeches under my belt with people coming up to me saying, "Hey, do you have a book that I can get?" And it was just embarrassing saying no. But the goal is always to to help people. I mean, obviously, I want to support my family and make a living, but I want to do it in a way that's going to have impact out there. And you know, the franchise industry is all about helping people you know realize their dreams and improve their lifestyles. And if I could have a hand in it, that's a pretty cool way to, to make a living. And, you know, there's been over the years, so even before I really, you know, established myself as a franchise speaker, just when I was a franchisee, I had a lot of people in my life coming up to me saying, you know, I've always wanted to do that. They kind of want to pick my brain about it and wanting to know, you know, what does it take? And not just what does it cost and how do you find the right franchise, but they want to know in advance, hey, if I'm going to do it, what can I do to set myself up for success? Um, And as you know, you buy a franchise, you're not buying a business as much as you're buying a lifestyle. So it's important to understand what that lifestyle is like and what it's going to take to not only have a successful business, but to be very purposeful about designing the lifestyle that you want. And so I hope to be able to help people do that. Yeah, I, I really like the the title of the book and the idea behind it. I think it's, you know, it's 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 catchy for sure, but I, I like the way that you define a, a wealthy franchisee as as wealthy means more than just financially secure. So can you kind of get into the the title and and how you would define a wealthy franchisee? Sure. So there are three qualities of being wealthy, in my opinion. Um, The first is the most obvious one, which is um, good financial return on your investment. You want to have more money in your pocket at dinner than you had at breakfast. We all want to make money in our businesses. And, you know, that's sort of the hook of the title. But what's interesting is I I gave a live presentation to a franchise group yesterday. uh, And I asked them, how many of you would be happy making a million dollars from your business? All hands went up. And I said, let me finish the question. What if I were to say you're all going to make a million dollars from your business over the course of 25 years? How many of you would still be happy? Well, no hands went up because, you know, income, it's relative to time. You know, we can always make more money, but time is something we're only spending. You know, it's an account from which we only make withdrawals. And you might have two franchisees, each of whom make $100,000 a year. But if one is doing it and working 20 hours a week and the other one's working 80 hours a week, they're not the same thing. So the second characteristic of being a wealthy franchisee is being in control of your time. Um, I asked these franchisees yesterday, what do you want from your business? And I really appreciate one of the answers I got. One guy said, I want my business to work for me instead of the other way around. He was very clear. He didn't want to be a slave to his business. And many people are. So to me, being wealthy is you're in control of your time. And you do not have to work 40 hours a week to succeed as a franchisee, provided you, you know, the hours you do work, you're doing the right things. So number one is find is good financial return on your investment. The second one is um, that you're in control of your time. 
And then the third is quality of life, that you should enjoy your business. doesn't mean you have to be passionate about it, but something about the business should make you want to get out of bed in the morning. Um, I will tell you that if every day at Edible Arrangements was like Valentine's Day, I would have wanted to take a match to the place. <laughs> we made it. We made a ton of money on Valentine's Day, but the stress was was not it, for me. It wasn't worth it. Um, so really, um, every every February fifteenth, I made m- mentally the commitment to put the store up for sale. And then February fifteenth comes around, and it's like, okay, I, I'll, maybe not. February fifteenth always comes. That's a saying that we had in the industry. It was just too much stress. And a lot of people, that really is how their business always is. Or they just hate it. They wake up in the morning, and the idea of going in makes them sick. Life is too short for that. It's one of the things I learned from you know spending a year battling cancer. So to be wealthy, in my opinion, is to have all three of those things: to make good money, to be in control of your time, and have quality of life. And the truth is, many franchisees, certainly those I profile in my book. They all check all three boxes. So it's not just aspirational. It's absolutely possible. Sure. And, and you, you were a very successful franchisee in, uh, in the edible arrangement system. I know you won some you know, national awards and things like that. Do you feel like you knew all these three things going into it or these things you learned over time? And were, were you pretty good at them? Well, you know, it, it was over time that I was able to kind of put my finger on it and articulate it. Some of these things came from instinct. A lot of them came from making mistakes or talking to other people. I did know going into it, you know, again, my reason for doing it was to be home more, not to be home less. So that meant, and I still had speaking engagements on my calendar. So from day one, I had to embrace replicable systems. I had to get good employees and train them to be independent, to be leaders, so that I could be gone giving presentations. And because I didn't want to have to always be there. Because again, the end goal was obviously to make money, to learn about what it takes to succeed as a leader in a franchise business. But I wanted a net gain in free time so I could be home with my wife raising kids. So that was always a priority. So I, from the very beginning, designed my business to enable me to do that. No, that's that's impressive. I mean, I, I don't think a lot of people realize that, or maybe it takes some time to realize that, how much that is worth, actually, you know, the the, the flexibility and the time to spend with family or or do whatever you want to do and, you know, kind of not be as a slave to the business. So kind of before we we talk about how to become a, a wealthy franchisee, are there kind of myths in about the franchising space that bother you or come up often? There really are. And it's a problem because, you know, one of the beautiful things about franchising and why it's so attractive is because the um, the, the secrets to success aren't necessarily a secret. It's out there. And so you ask your franchisor or you look at the top franchisees and you just do what they do. And if you do under similar conditions, you should get the same results. The problem is, is that people look at the top franchisees and they don't ask enough questions or they ask the wrong questions and they make assumptions about why that franchisee is successful. And if they draw the wrong conclusions, well, then they're not going to do the right things themselves. Or they make excuses as to why they're not going to be successful. So here are the most common assumptions that people make, the common myths that just simply aren't backed up by the truth. The most common one is that that great franchisee has an awesome location, that it's crowded, it's the right people, there's a lot of street exposure, if it's you know retail or a restaurant, they think that it's all about location or having the ideal territory. Now, obviously, location and territory matter, right? You want to fish where the fish are. You want you know, exposure to a lot of people. You want exposure to the right people. These things can, can be advantageous. 
there are many franchisees who are terrible at running their businesses, but their franchises are, you know, the location is so good that it's able to compensate. They can get away with mediocrity. But wealthy franchisees, the real great ones that I met, turns out that's not something consistent among them, great locations. What they all have in common are good enough locations that they operate extraordinarily well. In fact, what a lot of them do is they buy locations that others thought were terrible and they were struggling, like, I'm out of here. And so they sell it you know, for you know, pennies on the dollar to these smart franchisees. They take these bad locations and they run them so well that people will travel farther, go out of their way to patronize these businesses. One great example is a guy um, who I profile in the book, Burke Jones from the UPS store. He's owned five locations of the UPS store over the years, massive franchise brand. Twice he's acquired struggling locations and built each one into the number one store out of the entire chain. He told me both those locations are very mediocre at best. One of them is two doors down from a FedEx office store. Their direct competition is right there. But he puts such great emphasis on customer service, the people go out of his, their way to come do business with him. So uh, I spent a lot of time talking about that one myth, but it's so huge that you really don't need the best location. And by the way, in your territory, the best location may not be available or may not be affordable. So a good enough location is good enough if it's run well. Another myth is that they're workaholics, that these people live in their businesses. Simply not true. The franchisees who I profile, they go on vacation and they are home for dinner and they go to their kids' ballet recitals and volleyball games. And most of them run multiple locations or multiple businesses. And we're talking in some cases scores of locations and they don't have any more hours in the day than someone who is just running one location. But instead of just working hard, they work smart. Instead of full-time, it's full commitment. So they're able to have great lifestyles. So it's a myth that you really have to live in your business and be a slave to it. It's another myth is that, well, they must have a lot of business experience or a high education. And you know, because you work with a lot of aspiring franchisees, they wonder, do I know enough? Have I have enough business experience? I've never owned a business before. Well, what a lot of franchisors tell me is that people who come in with a lot of outside experience often struggle in the franchise model because they have a hard time letting go of what they know and embracing the franchisor systems. And that becomes a problem for them. These top franchisees, they really stick with the system. So I talked to you know one franchisor who said, I won't sell to doctors or lawyers. It's like they can invest, but I don't want them anywhere near the operation because in his experience, and he's generalizing, he respects them and what they're able to do as doctors and lawyers. But just because you can run a practice like that doesn't mean you can run a restaurant, which is what they're selling. It requires you know, some very different skills and really embracing the system. Um, so there isn't a correlation between people who necessarily have a lot of um, business experience or and certainly not education. Um, if you have experience, if you understand marketing, customer service, managing people, keeping the books, these are transferable skills. But what's most important is an open mind and a willing to learn. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was doing college visits with my son. Uh, he's looking at some schools. We're actually able to visit some colleges in person. And we met with a, um, a professor in a business department at one university because my son might be interested in that. So she showed us a list of all the courses he would take to get a degree in business. And it's things like you know statistics and theoretical whatever. And, and all stuff, which it serves its purpose. It's mentally stimulating. And a college degree isn't job training. But I'm looking at this stuff and I'm thinking, there ain't nothing here that's going to help someone run a franchise business. So having an MBA does not necessarily mean 
you know how to inspire employees, delight customers, and do the things that really need to get done to run a great business. So uh, those things are also a myth. And the last myth that I discuss is I don't think you have to be passionate about the business. I liked fruit baskets, but that I love them? No. I didn't have some passion about fruit. I did like the idea of being in the celebration business. That I thought was pretty cool. So I think you have to like something about the business, but you don't necessarily have to love what it is that you sell. So those are some of the myths, and it's important to look beyond them so then you can really identify what's the truth behind these people. Because if you replicate those things, then it's easier to get the same results. Sure. Yeah, I was I was laughing about your statistics example because uh, I was a business major in college, but and the only thing I remember from statistics is every time I'm in the the line, the bank line, you know, the the drive up line, I I get frustrated when you know people stack up a single lane and don't line up one behind each other and then go to the next open one. I I remember. Uh, a section on queuing queuing models and, and and the most efficient way to line up. <laughs> so so there is one thing I remember from statistics that helps me in life. <laughs> and, and and I don't mean to mock anybody who you know is in higher education or has. But I mean these. I, I think that it's important. You know, college is about for me. It's not about job training. It's about expanding the way you think and understanding the world. Those things are important. Um, I just don't know that they directly translate to one's ability to run a franchise business. On, on the myth of the the location, uh, I mean, you live that yourself because I think the the second location you acquired was was a struggling location, right? And and you were able to kind of turn that around and have some success with it. Yeah, um, it was it was not a very good location, neither where it was or you know the the physical strip mall itself. And so we had to compensate for that by providing extraordinary customer service. So that was a little business that could. And while, you know, why I had it, why the gross sales, you know, never came close to my first store, which is in this beautiful location outside of Beverly Hills and stuff, it was actually quite profitable because the rent was so cheap. It was just, it was, you know, smaller is much cheaper to run. So it really was a great business. And you you would look at the rankings and, you know, when I bought it, there were 105 stores in um, California. My first store usually ranked number one. This store usually ranked 104th. So the story would be better if it was 105th, but I'll give the previous owner some credit. But the fact is, so, you know, we, when we took it over, you know, it never got close to number one, but it, you know, it jumped way up. But from a profit standpoint, it was fantastic because the costs were so down. That's the problem with, in a franchise system where, you know, you see the rankings, the rankings are based on gross sales, not based on profit. And if it was based on profit, I think the rankings would look a lot different. Yeah, that's interesting. So we defined, you know, what a what a wealthy franchisee looks like. How do you become one? You know, what do these people do differently? And, and you started to touch on it a little bit, but I kind of wanted to come back to it and, and really dig into this on on what they do differently. Yeah, and it's really a massive question, uh, but I'm going to try to boil it down to really kind of three broad areas that really encompass everything. So the first thing that they do is they able to, they're able to maintain a clear head. Wealthy franchisees are able to remain as objective as possible. I think sometimes when I'm brought in to speak and people hear that I have a background as a motivational speaker, they expect them to talk about having a positive attitude. The truth is, I do not advocate having a positive attitude in business. I think a lot of people have made some pretty irresponsible decisions based on hope or faith or optimism. They think if they expect it and they want it, profit is just going to suddenly be there. Customers are going to show up. Costs are just going to go down. 
the pandemic is just going to go away. I don't care how good your attitude is. Positivity is not a business plan. And certainly negativity is not one either. So I think it's not about positivity. It's not about negativity. It's about clarity. Clearing your brain of all the distortion, getting yourself back to a calm place, what I call a point of clarity, because that's where we make good, objective, data-driven decisions. So it's not that wealthy franchisees don't experience emotion. They do. But they keep their emotions in check, and they don't take action until they're calm, until their head is clear. So that's really important because you know, if, you know when you're running a franchise business, there are so many triggers. There are just so many things that can cause you to freak out and catastrophize. And when that happens, um, there's activity in the brain that impacts your performance. If you're freaking out, you're, something triggers you, um, the first thing that responds is your amygdala, which is the part of the brain that's responsible for your fight or flight response. And that's important to keep you safe. The problem is when you're freaking out and the amygdala is active, it blocks the neural pathways to the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that's about logic, reason, and problem solving. That's the part of your brain you need to run a great franchise. So wealthy franchisees are good at feeling their emotions, but then putting them in check so that they can access the more useful part of the brain and make good data-driven decisions. So that's the first thing is really you know, monitoring your head. And for some people, they're just naturally calm and they're naturally clear. The rest of us, like me, can be very emotional so we just have to be more deliberate about monitoring it. You know, some people are born with big muscles. Other people have to go to the gym. But everyone's capable of doing it. So that's, what, that's the first thing is that you need – they're really good at keeping a clear head. The second thing I've observed about wealthy franchisees is generally they stick to the system. They do not really innovate much. They're not especially creative. They have invested in a franchise because they've identified a corporate office that has a great idea, that has replicated success, and they figure, you know what? I'm just going to align myself with them. I'm just going to mitigate risk by sticking to people who know what they're doing. So I'll let the franchisor innovate. I'm just going to execute. And it's not that they never have good ideas, but they express them well. They don't go rogue. So not one franchisee I've ever met has gotten wealthy by deviating from the brand and saying, yeah, I ignored our corporate office. They, they get ideas, but they communicate them well, and they cooperate with the corporate office, and they understand they're not just building their business, they're part of building a brand. And that can only happen when you stick with the system and then remain active with the system. So these people tend to be on um, committees and on advisory councils. They volunteer to help other franchisees. They teach workshops at the franchise convention. So they stick to the system, and they support the system. And by the way, that's a hard thing for me to say to franchisees. In fact, I said it yesterday to that franchise I spoke to, and I could tell a few people were a little uncomfortable because that sounds like I'm a corporate hack, just saying, hey, you need to listen to the people who you know are giving me a paycheck to be here. And it, it's true. I've never had a franchisor hire me to tell their franchisees to defy them. It just so happens, though, that great franchisees, they just stick to the system, and that works for them. So they keep a clear head. They stick to the system. And the third thing they do is they use their business to improve the lives of everyone it touches. They just put value out into the world because they understand there's a boomerang effect, particularly with their employees, with their customers, and with the community. So for their employees, they're not just directing their work. They're engaging them and inspiring them and actively building them into better workers, better people, and better leaders. They're truly committed to improving the lives, the skill set, and the mindset of their employees. With their customers, they don't just try to sell them products and services. They also work to elevate their emotional state, 
because they understand that really what people remember is less what they got and more how they felt. So they use their products and services as an opportunity to make people feel even better. Uh, and they're very deliberate about that. And then they're very active in their communities. All these wealthy franchisees, they donate money, they donate time, they volunteer, they network, they're part of you know various groups and chambers of commerce and BNI. They're really out there trying to improve the world. And of course, they're networking, knowing that there's some exposure, it's good marketing, it's good for the business. That's great. But they just look at their business as, hey, it's one more way that I can, you know, I can make money by making impact. So these are really the three things that in their broad areas, but if you forget everything else, I think if, if this becomes your mantra, just keep a clear head, stick to the system, and make other people's lives better, you're gonna get you're gonna stand a much greater chance of becoming a wealthy franchisee. Yeah, I like that. It's, it sounds like good parenting advice as well, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I I do really like the the mindset piece of it. Um and, and I see it every day as, as a franchise consultant. You know, some of the people I speak with have kind of a just a, a clear level approach. You know, po- they're, they're positive and, um, you know, they know their risk, there's risk involved and they know they're going to have bad days. But they they kind of, you know, they approach it that they're ready for the challenge and that that's, you know, any job or, you know, life is going to be like that. And, you, you know, you can really see this with validation calls. You know, I, I, I tell the folks I'm working with, that if, if you go into this looking for a reason not to do it, you know, you're going to be able to find it, right? So I, I, I do like that, that it's, I think it's important to kind of keep, keep a very clear, you know, mindset, you know, both when you're, when you're running the business and, and when you're going into, you know, thinking about going into business. It's interesting that, you know, of the kind of the three things that make you successful or, you know, help you become a wealthy franchisee. It's, it seems to me that the, the one that the brand, the only one that the brand really teaches is kind of the sticking to the system piece of it. And, and I wanted to touch a little bit uh, on that and get your, get your feedback. I mean, how much of this do you think is just how much someone is wired versus, you know, can they change? And, and are you surprised more brands don't, don't look at this, um, you know, and, and I know some brands do screen for, you know, for mindset and that sort of thing. And, you know, I was curious if you're a proponent of these personality profiling tools that look for certain attributes to predict someone being successful. But I, I guess, um, are you surprised brands don't do more? And do you think that someone can change your mindset or how much of it is that's just how they're wired? I do believe there's some people that are uh, wired in a way where it, it just makes them easier, uh, makes it easier. Um, some people are more optimistic and positive. And why I preach clarity, if you got to start from somewhere, being someone who's optimistic and takes risks and you know looks for success is still going to put you in a better place than someone who's always you know negative and risk averse and all that. So yeah, having said that, though, I do think that all of us can improve our emotional intelligence. We certainly can become more self-aware. We can look in the mirror more often and say, hey, am I really being an asset to my business or am I being a liability? Um, I can write down all the thoughts in my head on paper and then look at the paper and say, yeah, that one's crazy. That one's crazy. That one I can't back up. Okay, that one, there is evidence. But this one, I, you know, there are things that we can do um, to improve. As far as the franchisor's role, you know, what's interesting is it's not part of their franchise agreement. And it's not part of their expertise. Franchisors are experts in frozen yogurt and cheeseburgers and in-home senior care and, uh, and house cleaning. You know, that's their area of expertise. They're not psychologists or life coaches. 
and no one is actively asking for those things. But then when you ask franchisors where your franchisee is struggling, usually it's in these very areas. That's why they bring me in to help their franchisees open their eyes, to be more confident, to be more trusting, to lean into change, to um, really, you know, to really appreciate their employees and, and understanding how they need to make their customers feel good. So, but just hiring, you know, one speaker to come in once a year to give the opening keynote at a franchise convention isn't enough. Now, when you look at field consultants, the people really out there on the streets going into the franchise businesses and work with the franchisees, they'll tell you that they are unofficial psychologists, these franchisees. Now, GNC brought me in to actually spend a half a day working with all their field consultants, talking about how they can be more effective in the emotional support they provide to franchisees. So, you know, that's an example of them doing it a little bit. But, you know, I, I think it's not part of their, their requirements in the franchise agreement. But I think that if franchisors are really committed to helping franchisees, they would make this a more formal part of, of the service that they provide. So I'm trying to step in and, and to fill that gap in the meantime. Um, so I don't think too many of them do, but I do think it's an opportunity. But here's what I would say to your listeners who are people who are considering you know, different franchise brands. If you have, to, ideally, you'll find a franchisor who's got real great, a really great idea, a great operation, and is really good about the cultural elements and mindset and can provide you a lot of that kind of emotional support. Ideally, you want to find the combination. But if you have to choose one or the other, a franchisor who's got a fantastic concept and a great operation, but doesn't offer you much personal, you know, human support, or a franchisor who's got all kinds of people skills, they're all about culture and giving that kind of support, but the idea isn't so great or operation, they're still figuring it out. I say, choose the franchisor with the great operation because the emotional support you can get on your own, you can get from other sources. You're buying the operational, you're buying the tactics, you're buying the ops manual, you're buying the marketing support. Uh, so if they're not providing the emotional support, you can get that elsewhere. Yeah, no, I, I would I would agree with you as well. And and I think, you know, bringing you in is is really a, a good first step and, and kudos to those brands for, for recognizing, uh, you know, the need. I, I will say, you know, as a as a small business owner that in reading your book, there was definitely some, you know, self-reflection going on and and some awkward page turns where I say, oh, I, I could I should probably be better at that or I'm not great at that. It was it was definitely a, an eye-opening experience and you know a little bit painful at, at some points too. So that means it's uh you know it's it's speaking the truth. And and I definitely intend to send a copy of this book to, to any candidate that I work with that moves forward with with a brand is I, I think it's really required reading, you know, to someone who's going to become a franchisee and, and would set them up for success to, you know, it's harder to make changes halfway through the process than to, you know, if, for an existing franchisee, but if they, they had gotten this at the beginning, I think uh, it could really help them. So I just wanted to say, you know, thanks again for joining. I was excited for the conversation and and you definitely didn't disappoint. This has been great. Uh, if a listener would like to learn more, uh, what's the best way for them to to learn about uh, what you offer? Um, yeah, so they can just go to thewealthyfranchisee.com and you can learn about me. So I obviously have the book and I do you know, speaking for groups. But for individual franchisees, I do offer one-on-one -on -one private coaching and I'm in the process of developing a, a course 
that involves um, instruction, it involves uh, coaching, and it involves a lot of exercises and action to help franchisees grow. And I hope to have that ready um, probably by late January. That'll be up and running. Um, but all that is at the, the wealthyfranchisee.com. And uh, you can find all my social media uh, contacts as well. And the book is available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Great. And I'll be uh, sure to include all that in the show notes. Uh, thanks again, Scott. I really appreciate it. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Franchise Hounds. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode or would like to work with me directly to explore franchise ownership opportunities, please reach out through the form on our website at FranchiseHounds.com.